Well, hi, and welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. This is Portia. And this is Katie. And like every week, I think it's just, we just are so blessed that we get to do what we do. We are so excited for our guests today. Katie, you were telling us before we got on that you were just so excited. So, so, so excited. And listeners, I know that you probably get sick of me effusing about authors and, you know, going on and on about how this book changed my life. This book changed my life. But I really want to sincerely tell you that I believe books are like medicine mm-hmm. to the soul, to the to the emotions, to the mind when we are struggling with brokenness. And, and you know how we kind of revere doctors and surgeons because mm-hmm. they have this special knowledge to like cut open our physical body or give us the right medicine for our, our physical body to bring healing. Well, I honestly revere authors who know how and have been gifted and and Mm -hmm. oftentimes by God, gifted by God to um, use words to get into someone's mind, heart, soul, emotions. Um, And so I do revere um, authors and respect them like I do physicians. Mm -hmm. And this particular author, her name is Ellen Vaughn. And I got sent an advanced copy of her latest book. She's written or co-written 23. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't even realize that I'd already read a whole stack. I have them on my desk here next to me um, of other books she's written. But I got an advanced copy of her latest one about Elizabeth Elliot. I love Elizabeth Elliot. If mm-hmm. any of you are my age, you you have heard her, her read maybe her books, her story. But some of you younger listeners might not um, might not know about her. Amazing woman. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Ellen gets to write her uh, autobi or her biography. So I get this advanced copy, and I'm like, oh, Elizabeth Elliot, cool. And then I see the author's name, Ellen Vaughn. I'm like, I have some connection somehow with that name. So in doing research for today's um, episode, I looked up Ellen, realized I've read a lot of her books um, at different times in my life, um, specifically one about Mary Beth Chapman choosing to um, right after I had lost uh, my sister to Mm. cancer and um, uh, grieving and blah, blah, blah. But this one, this latest one, I had probably one of the saddest weeks of my life because of relational difficulties to the point Mm. where I said, Lord, I'd rather have my cancer back than be going through Mm. this. Um, But I needed to finish the book for the interview today. (laughs) And I know that is just so terrible. But again, Sometimes we take medicine because we're desperate for it. I didn't even know it was going to be medicine. I just Mm -hmm. thought, you know what? Carry on and get what you need to get done, done. And quit Mm -hmm. wallowing in this self-pity and this oppression and this darkness and carry on. So I pick up the book by Ellen Vaughn. And as only God can do, it ministered mm. on so many levels and so mm. many different thoughts bombarding my mind, so many different emotions trying to make me descend into darkness and lose my joy and my peace and my confidence in God and my trust. And I was ministered to 
listeners in such a deep and profound way. So that is why I'm so excited to introduce this author, Ellen Vaughn. Ellen, welcome. Welcome, Ellen. (laughs) We are so glad you're here. Thank you. It's so good to be with you guys. And Portia is going to read your biography that um, our our story curator so beautifully crafted. And then we're jumping right in with questions so we can hear from you. All right. So here we go. Listeners, we're excited to introduce you to Ellen Vaughn, a wife, mom, grandmother, speaker, and New York Times bestselling author who's written or co-written 23 books. She joins us today for a conversation about the intersection of her story with the writing of her biography, Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. In 1956, Elizabeth Elliot was a young missionary in Ecuador when members of a violent tribe savagely speared her husband, Jim, and his four colleagues. Incredibly, prayerfully, Elizabeth took her toddler daughter, snake bite kit, Bible and journal, and lived in the jungle with the people who killed her husband. Compelled by her friendship and forgiveness, many came to faith in Jesus. Ellen's book introduces a new generation to the life and faith of this amazing woman. Again, welcome, Ellen Vaughn. Thank you so, so much. And, you know, Elizabeth Elliot is one of those strong women that I think her story can transmit to those of us who follow behind. She died mm-hmm. in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I found many things in her story that strengthened me. And I know we'll get to that in our conversation. But wow. uh, that's the thing I love about books is they 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 bind us together. Yes. And like you were and like you were saying, it it's a, a book makes us realize I'm not alone. Yes. There are others who have gone through horrific things. Mm-hmm. And in a in a cosmic way, if you will, I think God can work through books to strengthen us through the stories of those who have gone before. So that was my hope with writing this book about Elizabeth Elliot. And I loved you. You said that at the very end. You said, in spite of our very different personalities, yours and Elizabeth's <laughs> um, habits or preferences, this sister's story strengthened my own. And that is my hope for any reader, whatever your situation might be. And I so resonated with yeah. that um, because Elizabeth's story, written through your gifts did strengthen my own. And truthfully, that's why we do this podcast is to showcase stories that really can help change lives and strengthen whatever situation Mm -hmm. you're going through, no matter what personality uh, you, you have. And I'm so glad you added that Ellen, that your personality and traits and habits are very different from Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet we can strengthen and complement one another. So I'm dying to dive right in and um, hear more about your personal story. So can you just describe kind of the early years of becoming Ellen Vaughn? To yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that my biography will be written anytime soon. So <laughs> I'll have to share that myself. So I was born many years ago in Washington, D.C., grew up in D.C., which I considered to be the hub of the universe. I know that's probably <laughs> not a popular notion, but and I grew up in a home where uh, I was involved from my beginnings in a small local church, uh, and my mom had a really strong faith. My dad did not. Mm -hmm. And when I was about five years old, through my mom's quiet, strong 
influence over many years of marriage, my dad embraced Christ as well. So I grew up in a home where that was the center kind of of our, our worldview. We also had tons of missionaries who would come and spend time in our home. And uh, that created me this longing for faraway places. And as I would hear the stories from around the campfire in Africa or uh, people who had been in far places in India or in Vietnam, it captured my imagination. And so really, when I look back at my early years, I feel like the local church, the community of friends, and what a strength that gives. And then this whole international component of the world is much bigger <laughs> than just suburbia, if you will. And then the other thing was I, from an early age, was one of those nerdy kids who read books all the time and wanted to be a writer when she grew up, right? <laughs> and so as God would have it, when I was... Um, Probably, I don't even know what age, but um, let's just say 10, 11, 12, somewhere along there. We had a friend who was visiting. My parents had the gift of hospitality. We always had people in our house, and I love that. And I've tried to replicate that in our own home until COVID hit, but that's another story. Right. <laughs> and, and so this woman was living with us for the summer, and she's reading a book out loud. And as I hear her voice and it's reading these words and it was like my spirit inside of me was, that's true. I can see those pictures in my head. I never could have expressed it, but I recognized that. Mm -hmm. And it was like the magic of writing. And the book was The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Oh, that's an amazing and, book. And I didn't understand it all. I was young, but something in me really resonated. And I thought, when I grew up, I want to be, I want to write books like C.S. Lewis. Now, I will never achieve that goal. <laughs> but no, no, no one could except C.S. Lewis. And he's right. in glory these days. Yes. So, uh, but I, I went ahead and, and majored in English in college and, and got a master's in English literature and, and really steeped myself in the classics mm. and had a desire to to write stories that reflected the truth that God has planted in the universe, right? So uh, by God's grace, those dreams came true. And, wow. and tell us more about how. Um, <laughs> I think you've had a, a lot of caffeine this morning. I have had a lot of caffeine. <laughs> and I get just so excited. I get so excited. Yeah, yeah. Because both yeah. Marcia and I and Susan, we feel so privileged to get to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Kind of like you when you were young, having the privilege of meeting all the missionaries that go all over the world. Uh, we get the privilege of meeting people like you. But um, but Gwen had written this question. So this is what's picking my interest. How did the young adult working at a Washington, D.C. French restaurant come to author or co-author 23 books. So I want to hear about the French restaurant. And yes, yes. Well, back in the day, I was in graduate school at Georgetown University in Washington. And so I went to classes at, at night, I think. And then I, um, to support myself, worked as a waitress in a lovely French restaurant in mm -hmm. Georgetown. <laughs> at the time, I spoke French, which I've forgotten everything <laughs> of. And uh, so... After I finished my master's, then I'm wandering the streets in despair looking for a job. And at the time, no one is looking for, there are no job openings for 
needed great writer right mm-hmm. <laughs> and, right. and I wasn't a great writer anyway but uh, and so as God would have it as I'm still working in that French restaurant and I love that it was very colorful and hilarious and delightful and I uh, went to a C.S. Lewis Institute seminar one Friday night and there was a man there also attending his name was Chuck Colson and at the time, Chuck Colson was, was a, a big deal. He had been a, a public figure during the Watergate scandal. Mm-hmm. He had come to faith in Christ, and that faith had led him to plead guilty for something he had not even been charged with. Wow. He went to prison. In prison, this uh, powerful Ivy League-educated lawyer, side of life he'd never seen, And he was moved by God to start a work in prisons in the U.S. that eventually also went abroad internationally, prison fellowship. Mm -hmm. So my heart was, you know, piqued by that. My interest was piqued. And uh, Chuck and I developed a relationship. And eventually I ended up coming to work for prison fellowship. And uh, at the time, I made so little money that I would make more money working at the French restaurant on the weekends than I did all week slaving away for Chuck Colson and Fellowship. <laughs> but that's another story. But anyway, Chuck was a great mentor to me, incredible mind, incredible grasp of, of history and theology. And, and so it was uh, God's grace that I could have a relationship with him that involved working with him then collaboratively on a number of his books. That caused me to travel all over the world to research stories of men and women in in prisons, uh, uh, incredible life-changing stories. I remember I went to Eastern Europe after the collapse of the Soviet Union long time ago. And it's one thing to read headlines in a newspaper. It is another thing to interview the people who marched in the front lines of peaceful Mm -hmm. protests Mm -hmm. at that time. And many of them followers of Christ who participated peacefully in what became the collapse of communism. Big piece of history long time ago. But so for me, that the opportunity that I have loved, loved, loved from my writing life is the chance to go and and hear firsthand people's stories, to go to to, um, Iraq and to interview people who at the time had had to flee from ISIS and who were in a refugee camp, praising God with great strength, incredible fortitude every night. And I think for those of us who live in a pretty comfortable culture here in North America, it's so important. To, to hear the stories of those who live in very different environment and whose faith is all the more powerful because of it. Right. So, so anyway, the, the love of, of travel and writing, and then eventually because of the relationships I had with publishers, because of working with Chuck Colson, mm-hmm. that could then segue to my own writing life and what right. I've done ever since. What I keep hearing from you, Ellen, is just the incredible power that there comes from being in community, even from the early part of your story, being in a local church and having your community of friends that were around you. And then being at the restaurant, I can remember working in a restaurant when I was in college, and it is a colorful scene (laughs) to work (laughs) in a restaurant. And, um, and just hearing this, such an appreciation for other people's stories. And it just makes me think about the fact that we are not meant to live alone. 
We are not meant to do this whole life by ourselves. And so, okay, you did all of this travel. You had all of these opportunities. You met Chuck Colson. I keep thinking of Breakpoint from like the radio station that I listen to of just different things um, from him. But why write a biography about Elizabeth Elliot today? And how'd you go about gathering your sources? Tell us about that process. I mean, you you gave us the on-ramp of the writing and being with and under the mentorship of Chuck Colson, but why Elizabeth and why now? Right, and, and one last thing I'll say, because it provides the on-ramp, as you mm-hmm. said, to Elizabeth Elliot, is when I was about five years old, I very earnestly committed my life to follow Christ. and. That was uh, the shaping of my worldview and and in reading the Bible and and having that as part of my perspective. When I was in college and graduate school, I really wandered from my faith and I knew it was true intellectually, but I didn't want to live like it was true. And during that time, it was almost as if the images I had floated way out to sea and uh, it was as if God had a big net and he very gently cast it and pulled me back bit by bit by bit. And I had barnacles in my hair and I was Mm -hmm. seaweed and I was all banged up, but I had a much greater sense of the grace of God and his forgiveness and who he really is than I could have had as a five-year-old child. So, yes. so that sense of grace then informed all my work uh, in prisons, et cetera. I was aware of Elizabeth Elliot. She was one of those uh, people held up as a, a Christian hero in the second mm-hmm. half of the 20th century. And I had heard her speak. One time she came to prison fellowship and did the devotions there. Wow. And I admired her tremendously. I wasn't sure I liked her much mm-hmm. because she was very severe and, mm-hmm. and steely and a, a little bit remote. And so I was uh, a few years ago working on another book, minding my own business. And my agent came to me and said, there is a, a biography to be done of Elizabeth Elliot. Would you be interested? Mm-hmm. And I thought, all those pieces that are part of me, the missionary piece, the international piece, the grace of God piece, the admiration of a strong woman wanting to find out more about her personality. I, yes, I was interested. And so I, I met with Elizabeth's wonderful daughter, Valerie, and uh, with her closest friend also, and somehow passed muster with them. And so I became the authorized biographer. And that began a journey then of of exploring what was this woman's story like? Mm -hmm. Who was she really? And that's what I tried to portray in this book because we don't need sort of a two-dimensional hero of a strong woman who does everything just right. right. And the more that I explored her story, the more I grew to love her. Not just like her, but love her. And Valerie, her daughter, brought me all of her mom's journals. Wow. Her, her her baby book, her Jim Elliott's uh, Bible, um, all these materials, correspondence. And so delving into that paper trail, I'm reading these journals that are written in this, this free-flowing hand as a woman's days unfold, one by one by one. And it's such a wild experience because I know how the story is going to end. I know what's right. going to happen. Yeah. And she didn't. 
And it was like I was carrying around my own life as I was trying to live my life, right? And to see the voice that's in these journals, a much more relatable Mm -hmm. uh, flesh and blood hero than perhaps how she's been presented in the past. Sure. I went. I went to Ecuador. I lived brief, briefly with the uh, the tribal people, and there uh, who the Waodani, with whom Elizabeth had gone to live after they killed her husband. Who does that? Wow. A woman of incredible grit. And there were two men still alive, who had participated in the killing. And I'm there in the middle of the Amazon jungle, and I am sitting by the campfire with an interpreter mm-hmm. with, with these old men now who had decided to follow Jesus because of the witness of forgiveness that Elizabeth and, and Rachel Saint, sister of one of the Nate mm-hmm. Saint, the pilot who of the five men who was killed, who were killed, because of the, the demonstration, not the words but the living out of forgiveness of these two strong uh, Christian women living among the tribal people. It's like Jesus. He came and he dwelt among us, right? Right. So because of that witness, these, these men who had been killers all those decades before living in a, in a never-ending cycle of violence and despair and death, they had a 70% homicide rate. In, in their tribe. No one lived to old age. Mm. And because of the gospel, they, they ceased a violent way of living. Mm. And so I was with these guys who now, we didn't speak the same language, but we had such a connection, really, that was because of the spirit of God. It was mysterious. Yes. And so it was like time travel to me. Like, oh my gosh, all those decades alone, this horrible event happened. And here I am today and seeing the fruit of it that the men who were killed would never have seen. Now, that doesn't take away the reality of suffering, which was right. a topic Elizabeth Elliot wrote beautifully and, and realistically about. She didn't, she didn't paint a nice sort of Christian gloss over right. tragedy. But uh, I have to tell you that in the writing of this book, it was organic. I felt oh. like I was taking on something that even as I tried to write it in a way that would give hope to others, it was giving hope to me. Wow. Wow. I, I'm just, I'm imagining you sitting there. It's still, I'm, my mind is blown that you actually got to go back and to be with the people yeah. and, and the fact that there were still men in the community, not only that they, oh, they had heard of Elizabeth, but were a part of this huge tragic part in her story and to see the goodness and the grace of God. Um, That's why we call it the scandal of grace. How, how is that even possible outside of the goodness and the amazing, I mean, that's why he's God, the infinite almighty God and he loves us all so much. And just what an amazing experience. I mean, did you, were you pinching yourself or am I really here? Is this really happening? Well, I knew I was really there. I'm wearing like a pith helmet and rubber boots that go up to my knees because of, you know, poisonous snakes. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm sleeping in a hammock uh, using the most beautiful outhouse I'd ever seen. Uh, and um, 
the hunters would go out each day and get food for the day. So one day they bring back this enormous furry monkey that was then roasted over the fire. I became a vegetarian for the week. <laughs> so yeah, I knew I was there. <laughs> oh my goodness. So how long did it take you to write the biography? You know, it took a couple years. Um, okay. As, as God would have it at the same time that I was writing this book, my husband his uh, very severe and aggressive brain cancer recurred. Mm. And so I had the experience in the midst of writing the book of, of a, a crisis that we did not anticipate. And my husband having enormous, massive, uh, life-altering brain surgery. And uh, so I was reading Elizabeth Elliott's journals as I'm in ICU or in a, a sur uh, surgery waiting room, or and I was living out uh, what was happening in the journals at the same time that the loss of my own husband wasn't theoretical, but maybe imminent. Mm -hmm. yes. And so, as God would have it, that that uh, Lee's Lee's terrible illness and his recovery from that surgery uh, took perhaps a year out of my writing time, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But it is because of, of that, I was going through my own suffering yes. as, as I was exploring Elizabeth's life and, and her own certainties in the midst, midst of her suffering. And it is a transferable truth. And I found that the same things that carried her carried me. It was real. Wow. But, it, but the way you write about it... It, it's real, but it's not shallow. It's not cliche. It's not, I mean, when you just think of Elizabeth's story and you're like, oh, her husband was killed, but then she went back and forgave him and went in the jungle and look how mm -hmm. nice. And then they all got saved. And <laughs> I mean, you know, you could make it this shallow, neat, tidy, mm -hmm. but you do not. It, as you're writing her story, you take us into her her mind and the depths of her questions and despair and confusion and yet um, obedience and just pressing on. But it's, um, I was so, so refreshed mm. to read the way you put together the journals and what Elizabeth was really feeling, thinking, um, that her depression and her sorrow and grief was so real and so mm -hmm. deep and so heavy. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just a skip and a jump over to forgiveness. Right. You know, I mean, she did forgive them and had a love for that, the dark lost people, but that didn't mean she didn't have her own personal pain. Right. I, I don't know. I'm babbling. I just, I wonder if you were able to write the stories so beautifully because of walking through your own painful episode mm -hmm. of life? I, I don't know. Well, I think that's part of the interesting question. Part of the journey of Elizabeth becoming Elizabeth Elliot, we're all in our, our different journeys becoming who we are, right? Right. And she had grown up in a nice, tidy Christian home with nice, tidy answers to everything and a Bible verse to answer any situation and any problem. And part of her journey as a woman of faith was away from sort of religiosity 
into a real relationship with Christ. Yes. And that's what appeals to me. That's, that's, Mm -hmm. I think people today are so tired of, of, of religiosity or sort of a a veneer Mm -hmm. that doesn't address the deep issues of what it means to be a human being. And what I saw in Elizabeth's journey was this authentic faith that uh, rings true to me. And I I think particularly in such a time as this, you know, there is so much brokenness and and, uh, pain of every kind in Mm -hmm. this, uh, what we've come through in 2020 and what we're continuing to sail on in, in 2021. And so is faith real? Is it robust enough to, to handle the real sufferings, large and small, that we all go through. Yes. Elizabeth Elliot, some people would think, oh, yes, her husband was speared to death. That's suffering. My little problem's not suffering. What she said was suffering is having something you don't want or wanting something you don't have. Wow. And I think we all can relate to that. Aww. Right. Absolutely. My four-year-old can relate to that. We have that conversation <laughs> all the time. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I, I just, I love the the realness that there is in your own story of walking with your husband through, I, I can't imagine, I, I am in a space where hard things have happened because I live in this world, but by and large, my life has rocked along pretty well, you know, mm-hmm. and there are spaces those, those darker spaces that have been in my story, that's where I have found the Lord the most. And I think somewhere I picked up or heard, because it's something I have to fight against and it's something that I talk about, is coming to Jesus doesn't make everything perfect. Coming to Jesus is knowing the love of an infinite God and Savior who, in spite of everything else, you can have peace inside. That in spite of everything else, there can be joy. But in those spaces where you have no joy, where you're just like, I just, I don't even know if the sun's ever going to come up again, that God is not in heaven going, I don't, you know what I did for you? I can't believe that you feel that way. He's the God that crawls in the pit with us. And I think that's the type of faith that the world is crying out for. It was like, who will crawl in the pit with me? Not that we're going to stay there, Mm -hmm. but who is going to say, I understand that you're going through this. And Jesus did that so well. And so I love that there is a resource that is available of knowing that really in this life you have troubles and this is what some of these troubles look like. And this is how you overcome through them. She did not get her husband back. She. No. I loved the part of this story um, because Portia, exactly what you said, the part of Elizabeth's story where the friend um, comes over from the Sudan because of what, happened over there and like five years after uh Jim's death or something like that and um and the friend gets in the pit with her um and for the first time Elizabeth feels like she can come out of the tomb even though she'd already gone back in the jungle and forgiven them and everything um I loved I loved that part of this story and I'm like it, it and I hate to say I loved this part, but you described friction between um, Christians who love the Lord and are obedient, and yet there is friction, and there is this un- understandable 
black and for me to be able to read that and and one description you put in there i'm going to butcher it but it was about elizabeth reading some psychologist who simply said there's two types of minds in the world um one type that has the answers they know it they don't you know and then another mind that sees the mystery sees the inscrutableness sees the the wonder and has to question question and uh, like the two that maybe didn't get along the most, Elizabeth and Rachel, two very different minds. Um, I can't tell you how that spoke to me. And I don't mm. even know how to unpack it without, <laughs> without a lot of words, which, which we don't have time for. Yeah. But two different types of minds. God created them both. Um, mm. Exactly. And I tried to tell that part of the story because... Rachel Saint, incredible, strong, strong woman who loved God and, and served him to the end of her days among the Wadani. Elizabeth Elliot, incredible, strong woman of God who loved him. And yet they could not get along. Mm. Well, what do you do with that? That doesn't fit the nice Christian story <laughs> where, you know, they, uh, you know, angels all sang in the background and everything was, was just uh, um, peachy, you know. But I think that... Uh, one thing that is the journey uh, is what you just referred to. And that was, oh, she grew up in a home where there was pretty much, a, a, as I said, an answer for everything, right? A pat answer. Here's what, here's what we say when X happens. And her journey in Ecuador, not just Jim's loss, that was horrific, but other losses that she had, they, those losses taught her that, that, we're, we're part of something here that is very mysterious. You can't explain away the pain. You can't put a Band-Aid on it. And in, in embracing the mystery of, of who God is and to have the insight that what I see in front of me is not all there is. Right. I think we have, and this is getting quasar, you know, but I, we have to think in terms of eternity. If this life is all there is, we are this is a sorry situation. But if there are, in fact, other dimensions in which God is constantly working out his big story right. for humanity over the millennia, and we're participating in a tiny part of it, there is a sense of mystery here. Yeah. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean passivity, like, oh, it's a mystery. And I, it, I, you know. And but, she certainly wasn't passive. She was always yeah. questioning and reading yes. yeah. and searching and, and wanting to ask questions and hungry yes. for truth, yeah. but yeah. not satisfied with the, the, the shallow, oh, just press on with life and don't think too deeply. And, and, and really, sometimes I can be so like that. I want to just, oh, just get on with it. Don't even think about it. Don't. Mm -hmm. and, and I think maybe listeners, some of you are maybe like me in a way that, you want the quick answer. Right. Um, you want the easy answer, and then you just move on. Um, but if we get dead honest with ourselves, there are some serious disappointments and questions. Yes. And, and mm -hmm. to read about Elizabeth, like you said, even before Jim was killed, um, doing this heavy work in the jungle, thinking that, of course, God is going to pave the way. And then all these horrific things happen. I'm not going to tell you because you've got to read the book, right. listeners. Um, and she's like, God, are you kidding me? 
why would you not want this work to go forward? Why would right. you let this horrible murder of that one guy and mm-hmm. the loss of all these nine months of hard work just lost? Um, why, God, why? And truthfully, um, listeners, like I was saying at the beginning, how a story can gel with our own story. Part of my little pity party this week was we've been pouring so much into this one ministry. And I had such high hopes um, that glorious things were going to happen Mm -hmm. uh, in this in this ministry. And the next day after the, the night that was supposed to be so glorious in this big spiritual breakthrough, such darkness, such awful. And my heart was like, God. Seriously, I know you're all powerful, but we begged you to protect these people. We, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, in my wrestling then, reading, reading about Elizabeth going through something. And and comparison, I'm glad you said um, Elizabeth would be one to say, don't compare right. your suffering and go, well, mine's nothing. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it hurt. Mm-hmm. It was something. But that story. Her example um, and the realness of it, like I'm not an idiot or unfaithful for having those questions. Right. Um, and God is at work. Like you mm-hmm. said, becoming. We're all becoming mm-hmm. who he wants us mm-hmm. to be. Um, mm-hmm. I just appreciate your honest, fresh writing and um, that. And I appreciate Valerie uh, Shepard. I actually heard her speak one time years and years ago out in 29 Palms, California, in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Valerie Shepard actually came and spoke to a women's group there. We were so honored that somebody that relatively famous would mm-hmm. <laughs> come to our little nowheresville in the, in the U.S. and speak to us. But um, that Valerie would trust you with those precious yes. journals. I kept picturing you in those waiting rooms. As part of your heart is in fear over your husband and another part of your heart is all involved with mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth's story. Wow. Tell us, Ellen, um, in the journey with your husband, what is what is something that God directly showed you as you were reading and learning about Elizabeth's story while you were walking through this very scary time with your husband? Right. And I, in a different way now, but I'm still walking through very, the the difficult days with, um, in in Lee's continuing journey with brain cancer. So, um, unfortunately it has not gone away. And so every day I have the chance to get up and, and some of these gray, uh, winter days like we're in right now, it can feel very discouraging. And I think that uh, what I've learned from Elizabeth Elliot and what I knew to be true anyway, but the only way to nourish my soul and spirit to think with a big enough perspective to be able to put one foot in front of the other and keep going in whatever the challenges are is to immerse myself in uh, the Bible. And so that sounds like a nice Sunday school answer. And yeah, yeah, we all know that. But uh, our perspectives will be shaped by something. They'll be shaped by social media, by our friends, by whatever we choose to take in. 
And so I have needed to be careful of what I take in. And I have found the last few years, which have been the most painful couple of years of my life, experientially, have been the most robust years in terms of really having a strong sense of joy, yeah, which makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. But it's because I know what I know. And it's yeah. true. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. So I go on my merry way and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with continuing like all of us, like all the women in every community I know, and I'm sure in your virtual community, mm-hmm. we all have a ton of stuff we're dealing with. Right. But God himself has gotten in the boat with us. That's so and, good. And the other cool thing is what, Portia, you were mentioning at the beginning, and that's the importance of community. Mm-hmm. And that's the very thing that COVID has threatened, right? Yes. Is, is our ability to gather together and eat food together, which mm-hmm. is one of life's great joys, <laughs> it right? It is. And, and so as, as um, paltry as it is, we've got to get together in any way we can, mm-hmm. because it's in the, in the, the fellowship, if you will, of sisters yes. who can walk with each other, not pat each other on the head, give all the right answers, but just right. walk, walk through the difficult times. I think, especially as, as our nation, as, as we come out of COVID, mm-hmm. I believe that it, local churches are going to need to be a place where people can lament, yes. where people can express, can express loss and, and receive comfort. So that's a long meandering answer, but um, at any rate, I found in Elizabeth Elliot's life a number of transferable truths. It, it's a it's a rollicking good story, <laughs> you know, but it also has nuggets within it that I can take away mm-hmm. that are useful to have in my pockets for my own life. And so wow. that was that was my hope for readers that they could carry away some things as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that your your posture, you weren't a, a dispassionate observer because of the things that you're walking through in your life. I believe that that's why God allowed you to be the one to be the biographer for Elizabeth Elliot. Um, just like you were sharing, she did it as you were reading her journals. She didn't know what was going to happen, but you did. Mm-hmm. And I don't know all that was going on in your personal life when you started this. Mm-hmm. But obviously, we don't know what's going to happen in our own <laughs> stories. And then look how God has given you handrails all along the journey, all mm-hmm. of the perspective. I love what you said about um, he's so big and he's working in so many different spaces. And it's so much more than what we are seeing in front of us because he is an eternal God. Mm-hmm. And I just I am marveling at the goodness of God that even as you're walking through things, he was like, oh, but Ellen, I gotcha. I got you while you were walking through this. He does that for us listeners. And sometimes I feel like it's a matter of just looking or receiving from people. Some of us, we have people trying to love us, trying to encourage us, and we keep pushing them away. Because you're like, I got it. I'm okay. I'm okay. I implore you, wherever you are and you are hearing my voice, receive the help. Because that very help could be an exact message that God has sent to you to show you that you are not alone. And that you are going to make it through whatever it is that you're walking through today. Yeah. Yeah. As I was reading Elizabeth's journals, and, you know, we've mentioned that a few times, but I had such a sense of going through the pages and um, of there's a verse in Psalm 139 
that says, all the days ordained for me, were they not written in your book before one of them came to be? And the idea that as I went through Elizabeth's ragged old journal books, those that was her life. And yet in my life as well, God is writing the book before any of my days even came to be. And sometimes I have also felt it really uh, comforting because we're all in this together and we're all a mess and life is a mess. <laughs> and um, sometimes in Elizabeth's journal, she would be like, oh, Lord, I am so ridiculous. Help me. <laughs> and for me, there's not a day that goes by where I don't say, oh, Lord, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> and then I hear God's tender voice speaking to me and saying, yes, but you're my idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to embrace that. <laughs> yes, yes. And so we have the freedom to go on, right? Yes. Step by step. That's amazing. Oh, I love that so much. I love that so much. Um, here is my burning question. When is part two coming out? And I know you don't, you won't talk about it as part two, but um, I think I read that there's two, there was too much for one book. So the first is her early years and then there'll be a second. So when is that? Yes. I, as I started writing, I realized, oh, my goodness, if I write her whole story in one book, it's going to weigh about 500 pounds. And <laughs> no one could carry it around. So volume two is the rest of the story after she returns back to the U.S. from Ecuador. And it has some wild twists and turns. You know, wow. she she in midlife was absolutely gobsmacked by falling passionately in love again with a man who was, she said, was like Jim Elliott had been had he lived. Mm. Wonderful. Marriage. Delightful. So happy. I'm reading the journals. Happy, happy. And then he develops a terrible cancer. And bit by agonizing bit, he dies. And she is widowed again. And then the story goes on. She marries a third time. And so uh, I'm working on that now. Um, every book I write, I feel like I cannot do this. There's no hope. Disaster. And so it allegedly will come out in September of 2022. Okay. Okay. Yeah. God willing. God willing. Yes. And I appreciated all the references to Elizabeth trying to write. Yeah. And I think in your notes at the end, you said something about how hard it is. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to write now too. And I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. forget it. Right. <laughs> right. It's hard. It's a, but um, I can't wait for that, for that well, next, um, that next book. Well, thank you. That'll help me as I get back to my desk yeah, and get, get to work. Get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we ask um, every one of our guests this last question. If you could leave us with just one thing, uh, what might that be? Well, you know, I cheated and I did know that would be your last question, which is <laughs> a pretty, pretty overwhelming question. And, and so the thing that comes to mind, though, is this. I... I feel like for all of us, an important thing to do is to get rid of expectations. Oh, wow. I feel like if there's anything over the last year uh, that we learned is that 
we don't have control. We knew that anyway, but it really came out clearly with COVID. We don't have control. And the expectation that um, my life is going to go forward in a certain way and I'm going to be successful in my career and I'm going to marry a wonderful man and have um, exceptionally um, gifted children and <laughs> they'll go to the best preschool and the best college and it, the American dream kind of thinking, mm-hmm. right? I think those expectations can become idols wow. in our lives. And there is much more freedom in getting rid of, of the expectations and embracing each day as it is. And, wow. and also to have a sense of what Elizabeth Elliot knew to be true. She loved Amy Carmichael and quoted Amy Carmichael, the uh, missionary to um, India for 50 mm-hmm. years, who said, in acceptance lies peace. Wow. And, and so for me, my husband's cancer, I rail at that. I hate it. Cancer is so horrible. And what it does is so, so twisting and obscene. But I accept it. It is what it is. Now, that doesn't mean I'm defeatist. It doesn't mean, but I don't rail against it. And wow. in that, then you have the peace to be, get, be able to, to move on to the next thing and to be equipped uh, with hope. And hope is not expectations that what I desire will come true. Hope is based in a person. And I have found in my journey, Elizabeth Elliot, clearly in her journey, that person doesn't leave us. He's always with us. That's where the hope is. I love that. That is so good. Oh, listeners, I can't even make any kind of summary statement because that word was straight to my soul, mm-hmm. uh, again, as medicine. Um, get rid of the expectations, yes. not only in your, your physical life or your decisions and how your life plays out, but even in your ministry life, even in your relationship with God. Get rid of the expectations that he's going to act a certain way all the time, right. or he, he owes you right. <laughs> this kind of warm, fuzzy experience when you call upon him and you need that and you want that. And, um, that he needs to protect you at all times. Um, Jim Elliot died. Mm-hmm. He, there's danger. There's but get rid of the expectations. Yeah. But embrace the trust yeah. and the hope. Yeah. I, I said I wasn't going to try to summarize, and now I just did. Um, I'm trying to process it in my own mind, listeners. We always yes. say stories yes. change lives, yes. and we always tell you very honestly and openly. The first lives they change with the stories yeah. we deal with are ours. ours. So we we mm. aren't just uh, preaching that yet. We are being changed by the stories and the interviews and the guests um, that we get the privilege of listening mm. to. So, Ellen, thank you. Thank, thank you, you, thank so, you much. so much. Well, I love being with you guys. Hope we can do it again sometime. I would love that. Yeah, when book number two comes out. Yes. <laughs> And we won't have COVID. Maybe we can even do it live. Let's we, do it. Down the road from you. I'll come over. <laughs> Good. We'll have coffee. It'll be fun. I love I that love so it. much. Yeah. All right, yeah. listeners, we love you so much. And we thank you for being with us today. We'll be with you next time. Bye. Bye.